0: Welcome to the under eight podcast, a three times per week college basketball show brought to you in under eight minutes at the time of recording. It is Sunday, February 18th, 315 p.m. My name is Josh Mullinex on today's pod. Purdue falls to the Chris Holtman list. Ohio State Buckeyes. UConn dominates Marquette and the top 16 seeds in the NCAA tournament as of right now. It's all right now on the under eight podcast. Josh Doring here with me on Sunday afternoon. Never in a million years, right? Never in a million years would Purdue fall to the Chris holtman Ohio State Buckeyes, but that's exactly what happened this afternoon in Columbus. 73, number two, Purdue 69. And the Boilermakers have one of those days and one of those losses.
1: Yeah, I guess I'll start by... I don't think we we have discussed this theory. I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast. Because Purdue's losses are so self-inflicted and they are so specific in terms of why they happen, they are vulnerable against anybody. Whereas I feel like, and we'll get to UConn here, if you're going to beat UConn, you have to outplay UConn. And sometimes mm. teams are capable of doing that, the best teams in the country. When Purdue can't shoot the ball and gets into turnover, losing composure mode, they are inherently vulnerable against anybody. And, yeah, we were kind of joking about this. Of, of course, this is the game that they're going to lose, right? Because Jake Diebler is now coaching Ohio State. They're in this terrible stretch. And they showed up and got 26 points from their bench. Jameson Battle didn't do anything in the first half and then went unconscious for a little bit there to make sure that they held on to their lead and kept it big enough, long enough to hold on once Purdue made the run at the end. And Mm -hmm. there you have it.
0: Like you said, Jameson battle 19, all in the second half, Bruce Thornton was awesome in general. Um, 22 points eight of 17 from the floor and then when you add what you got from the bench it was quite something you got basically nothing from the bench on the Boilermaker side Uh, Zachy 22 13 on seven of 11 had six turnovers wasn't super strong with the ball at times in the second half it kind of was got blocked a couple times got stripped yes there was probably some contact here or there but it was contact that was not called we we talk about referring zach ed all the time i'm not exactly interested in having that conversation again
1: no.
0: but despite you know a really nice game from trey kaufman Ren fletcher lawyer and lance jones are four of 18 from the field fletcher lawyers yep. basically not been on this basketball team for the last three games he's got three made field goals in the last three games and i forgot he was on the floor for most of the second half and you know brain smith was fine but down the stretch, it was if Braden Smith and Zach Edie don't create offense for Purdue, then it's not going to come to the tune of, like, Fletcher Lawyer and Lance Jones both missed, like, wide open layups in the second half. And Edie was there to put back one of them. I don't remember about the other one specifically, but, you know, they were... They kind of clawed back in this game, I thought, because it's kind of a duo of Braden Smith and Zach Edie that have this understanding of trying to will them to the finish line. And last year, I think it was really just Zach Eby. That was that you could categorize uh, in that kind of group, but it it wasn't, it wasn't enough. And, you know, I know Lance Jones had a big three down the stretch, but he got basically nothing else. And when you combine it with some of those other things, the turnovers, the empty possessions, um, it uh, wasn't enough to, to dig out of the hole.
1: And, they clawed back into the game from the free throw line.
0: That's awesome. 20 of 20 is insane. <laughs>
1: yeah. Which, as we've discussed, part of that is Zach Eadie's on your team. You're going to shoot a lot of free throws. You're going to get into the bonus. The other bigs are probably going to be in foul trouble, which was the case for Ohio State. Now, yep. they found a way to hang on with everybody having four fouls, it felt like. But there were stretches at multiple points in this game, end of the first half, in the second half. Where Purdue would go five, six minutes without making a field goal.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And part of that is, yes, you have the Great Eraser and Zach Eady, but offensively, they were just about as bad as you can be for a team that has this high of an offensive floor. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and then, yeah, right. Brayden Smith was good, not spectacular. You combine that with the other guards being really, really poor and the turnovers or even things like there was one possession with five or six minutes left. Braden Smith turned the corner on the baseline with the shot clock running down. And I thought, this is a really smart thing he's doing. He's going to go toward the basket. He's going to put the shot up and he's going to go trust that E he's going to get that rebound if it doesn't go in. And instead, he threw a low floating pass to Edie with at least one guy, if not two Ohio State players between him and
0: the ball. I'm pretty sure Ethan Morton was wide open on this play, too. I'm pretty sure I know what you're talking about. And Ethan Morton was also under the basket, and Ethan Morton was the guy open.
1: Yeah, right. It's not like Edie was open. I mean, maybe, and there were, what, two, three seconds left on the shot clock?
0: It was late in the shot clock, yeah.
1: Yeah, Edie doesn't have time to catch that ball, regather himself, and go back up. Right. Either you got to get it to somebody who is going to be able to put it back up immediately. And yeah, if, if Morton was there, then maybe that's the play or just put the ball up. It's just stuff like that that is so baffling sometimes of just what seems like very simple, very simple things. And yeah, the the turnovers come back. It, it, it's the same formula we've been talking about time and time again. The turnovers, I'm, the shooting and not having anybody outside those two guys.
0: I'm not totally sure that I'm going to sit here and like bash on the guy who felt like he had the ball in his hands, all 20 minutes of the second half when he had three turnovers and seven assists. Yeah. like At some point you're going to make a mistake. Um, And Fletcher lawyer and Lance Jones gave Purdue absolutely nothing. for The final 20 minutes of this game. I was just pointing that out. It felt like, go ahead.
1: I was just pointing that out as an example of one of the things that really frustrates me, not to say that Braden Smith did a lot more good than bad in this game for sure. And he is certainly not the reason they lost just those little things when they lose and when I watch them continue to irk me that to me, that's the next step, but that's not the story here. Sure.
0: Yeah. Um, Seventy-three, sixty-nine. Purdue now 12 and three in the big 10. Um, you know, it's not like anybody else really wants to win the big 10. Um, it, Illinois makes, it, it, around. More, it makes it a little bit more interesting with Illinois, but, there's still two games behind in the win column and a game behind in the loss column after, after the loss today. So, I mean, Wisconsin has self-imploded. Michigan State and Wisconsin are now tied for third in the Big Ten. Um, that's how bad Wisconsin has been for the last two weeks or so. So we'll see if that actually, this actually comes back to bite them in any way. But uh, it probably does make the Illinois-Purdue matchup more important than it would have been potentially otherwise, but uh, quite the, uh, quite the outcome in Columbus today.
1: Yeah. It's just one of the, one of those things that you go, of course, this is the game Purdue loses with all and, and congrats to Jake Diebler too. Yeah, it's sure. a cool, cool story. And he's trying to do his best to just keep this team together. Clearly he got a response out of him in this game, which says something about him and his leadership ability and these players. Who knows where this goes in terms of his coaching future and the impact this little stretch has on it? But boy, that's that's a way to start and at least get some get, get some noise going and some attention on yourself, even if Ohio State isn't gonna hire you to at least pique some interest here about what he's doing.
0: What would Jake D, what would Ohio State have to do the rest of the way for Jake Diablo to, to get the job <sighs> this year? They'd have to win the Big Ten tournament. Big, Big Ten tournament. The, yeah. Like, you probably have to make the NCAA tournament, the only way Ohio State's going to do that is by winning the Big Ten tournament. I would think, unless it's a very, very clear everybody
1: within the program wants him, then sure. maybe. Yeah. Right, but from a I I feel of like qualified. that's the only
0: way for it to be very, very clear that everybody wants him is for him to like somehow get them to the tournament. Yeah. Or or like. people, people say, if you don't hire him, I'm transferring. Sure. Kind of
1: thing. And you, sure. your entire roster just says, I stay if he stays. Is yeah. that likely to happen in today's world? No.
0: Yeah, probably not. Another quite striking result on Saturday, uh, 81, 53. That's the number one team in the country. Yukon 81 at number four, Marquette 53, this game was closed for about seven minutes, if not less time than that. Um, Mar- Marquette was down 16 at halftime, lose the second half by 12. It's a 29, if that's my correct math. 28, Eight. 28 point loss for the Golden Eagles and UConn. Every time they step on the floor, it's hard to, it's hard to argue with the idea of them being the first team to repeat as national champions since Florida in the late, 2000s it is impressive they beat the snot out of a lot of teams and they did just that uh, against Marquette on Saturday.
1: It looked like we were going to have a good game there for those 7 or so minutes.
0: Sure. <laughs> then, then it was not. I went yeah. I looked and it was like 7 to 6 and then I looked again cuz wasn't able to watch the beginning. I looked again and it was like 25 to 10 and I was like, "Oh, okay. All right, well that's that was that was fun while it lasted."
1: One of one of the Big red flags was UConn was the team that started hitting threes.
0: 40 to 24 is what I saw. That's when I looked at gotcha. 40 to 24. I was like, yeah. oh, geez. Yeah. Because yeah. the teams combined to miss eight straight threes to start the game. Mm-hmm.
1: But then UConn started hitting and Marquette was two or 13 from three in the first half. And when Marquette's not hitting threes and when Marquette, who is not at full strength, gets bad games from their stars, against that team in that environment, it is a recipe for disaster. I... Obviously you didn't expect it to be a 28 point game. You expected Marquette to show up, mm-hmm. but they need Tyler Kolek and Cam Jones to be great. Yeah. Because you're running out of and Iguodaro too. Cause I feel like Sean Jones was kind of the guy that could go give you 10 points out of nowhere or spark something or be that other piece to make up for not having the best game from your best players without him. They don't have that guy.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. They are heavily reliant on that starting lineup. Whereas UConn can just roll out whoever they want. (laughs) And you got guys up and down that team that go get double figures. It seems like nobody almost ever, with the exception of Tristan Newton scores 20 points, but Alex Caravan can and Newton can, and Klingon can, and Cam Spencer can. They all just kind of settle in the 14 to 18 range, and it's a it's a machine. Now, the one thing that is interesting to me here, and we can talk a little bit about this with the seed reveal too, UConn does still have trips to Creighton, Marquette, and Providence on that schedule. It has been a front-loaded Big East where some of the most difficult games they were going to have are coming at the very end which is just interesting considering how well they're playing and the way that this is playing out, where they are clearly steamrolling toward being the favorites to repeat as national champions. I am curious to see what Marquette does when they get a second shot at him, what Creighton can do. Providence has been tricky and might be playing for an NCAA tournament bid at that point, right? If they can keep themselves in the bubble conversation, that could be the game that puts them on the right side of the bubble. So there are some big tests still coming from UConn. Certainly, they passed this one with flying colors.
0: Yeah, I guess. I guess there are <laughs> big tests coming. I'm not sure. Tests imply that you still have something to prove, to prove. about sure, sure, sure. yeah. Um, I'm not sure that that's how I would how about it. But challenging games, we'll put it that. Sure, way. sure. That's uh that's fair. I, I I don't have any. You know, on one hand, if you told me that there were some of those games that were close, or if you told me that they go five and zero the last five, and Go nineteen to one, yeah, sure. Um, so it'll be, it'll be interesting. There are some tough games left, but they, they have the, nobody on that. You know, they've played everybody on that list, and apart from Seton Hall, none of them have managed to uh, to beat them anywhere else. So we'll see what that <laughs> what comes of it over the next couple weeks or so. Eighty one fifty three is a striking is a striking outcome. For a game that was, you know, kind of everyone had started to circle on their calendars as Marquette was kind of back into this beating everybody not named UConn in the Big East kind of mode, up to number four in the country and um, the number one team flexing their muscles at home on Saturday. Last thing, we have an official top 16 seeds at this point from the NCAA tournament uh, committee. And it was number one. Overall seed being Purdue UConn, the number one team in the country was the number two overall seed on the one-line Purdue UConn, Houston, Arizona. We have 16 teams to look at here with uh, what three weeks, three weeks or so from selection Sunday. Is
1: it four 16th? I believe no
0: 17th. Uh, It's not important. It's it's soon. We have 16 teams. Yes. What are your thoughts on it?
1: The two things I really liked, I was a fan of Purdue being number one, partially for that reason in terms of what Purdue is, the way Purdue's schedule lined up versus the way UConn's did. Now, if we're redoing this today, we got to flip those two after what happened this weekend. Sure. But before those two, right, before those two results, I was a fan of Purdue getting the slight edge over UConn. I also really liked the fact that Baylor was ahead of Iowa State. To reinforce the idea that the entire body of work matters not just conference play and the conference play mm-hmm. does not carry any extra weight because mm-hmm. baylor's overall resume i would give a slight edge to because iowa state's non-conference was not good and baylor really challenged themselves those were the two things i really liked i've got a couple things i have some issues with that we can get to once you throw out some thoughts here too
0: um I don't have a ton of thoughts. Um, I it's not a it's not a who is the most impressive team in the country right this second. List it's a who has the best resume and right. Purdue up until yesterday or up until twenty minutes ago had the best uh, the best resume and I I I don't yeah I'm not sure what people. What the pushback, if there would, if there was any, would be. I mean, sure, if UConn and Purdue were to play on a neutral court last night, it'd probably be a slight favorite to UConn. But that's not necessarily what we're discussing here. Yeah. And yeah, I've, I've got, I got no issues with it. The things I was not as big of a fan of, I was
1: very surprised North Carolina was the fifth overall seed with some of the losses in non-conference and obviously what's happened recently in ACC play when you compare that to Tennessee and Marquette in particular. Certainly they deserve to be a two seed. It's not like I would have had them off the two line, but I would have had them at seven or eight. I was just surprised that they still held on to number five as the number one overall two seed. Mm -hmm. the other couple things that go to kind of go together, the team I would have really liked to see in here that this is all kind of a moot point anyway, because Wisconsin is certainly not a four seed anymore (laughs) is South Carolina, which then South Carolina proceeds to go and lose a very bad game. So that's part of this as well, Mm -hmm. that this is all based on before they had another bad loss. And, and you look at what South Carolina has done, And I look at San Diego state at 14 San Diego state deserves to be in the top 16 and we're, you know, kind of looking at details here, but if we're supposed to be focused on all of these key wins, San Diego state has not been any of the other top teams that are all in the bubble fighting for positioning in the mountain West on the road. They lost to all of them. Now they beat them all at home. So, Doing what they're supposed to, and the signature win is St. Mary's, which at some point we got to take into some context when that win came because St. Mary's is a completely different team now, obviously, and that win looks way better. And so, I, I feel like we just don't typically reward teams that do what they're supposed to and don't do anything spectacular. And they played some bad Pac 12 teams, they beat them, they did win at Gonzaga, but Gonzaga is a bubble team, they just don't have a signature win to me that I look at and go, that's what you're building your resume around. I was just surprised they were as high as 14. It's all going to sort itself out. We just put so much emphasis on key wins and about all the, you know, strength of schedule and all of this stuff. And it seems like everybody was just thrilled that San Diego state was in there because go mountain West and they might not even win the conference. I guess I just don't feel like they're, they are that much farther ahead of everybody else in the mountain West. That's right behind them battling at the top of that conference, which is awfully good, by the way. It's not that I have an issue with a Mountain West team being a four seed. I just am a little confused why we've separated San Diego State so much from everybody else.
0: Um they were 15th in the net and nobody was inside the top 23. South Carolina's not in because they were 50th in the net. You're not getting yeah. a you're not getting a top 16 seed that's 50th in the net. You're just yeah, not I,
1: well, and part of that is that they took another terrible loss that.
0: That's at, that's then, before their loss. That's before their loss. They're fifty seventh oh. now.
1: Oh, they have. Oh, the net has update. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah.
0: No, okay. then that has updated. It gives me a what? previous. Yeah, ranking.
1: yeah, got you, got you, got you. Okay.
0: Yeah. So they, you're just not getting a top. You're just not getting a top sixteen seed. That's fiftieth net. that. Just not going to happen.
1: Yeah, and that's where I have some questions about the net because you're, you're right. Yeah, and I looked and I went looking for South Carolina. I thought they can't be all the way down there, and sure enough, they were. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and that's I mean, the, if you're if you're going to have a ranking, you might as well, like, and you want people to respect it, you might as well act like you respect it. You yeah. Oh, oh,
1: right, right. Oh, for sure. For sure. And that's, I think, maybe one of the things that I've come to dislike about the net is the way that we group these together. There's such a difference between playing a top 10 team and a top 25 team or a top 30 team and a top 50 team.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right, and that's all the same. I love the fact that we balance out by compensating for the difficulty playing on the road by changing our evaluation based on whether it's a home game or a road game or a neutral game. Just not all quad one wins, not all quad two wins are created equal. Which there's always so much you can do. It's one metric, and right. If if you want people to buy into it, if you're the committee, you got to buy into it too. Absolutely. And most of this is already irrelevant. So. We're gonna revisit it again when it matters, come selection Sunday, and that will be that.
0: And South Carolina was outside the top forty, and like they're just not a metric starling. They, they, they just aren't. Um, And until they beat Tennessee, it was like, eh. I mean, like they're still three and three in Quad One. It's not like they've racked up all these Quad One wins and haven't and and haven't seen the respect for it. They're still just three and three in quad one. Right.
1: Well, they they have the mar their problem is they don't have the quality, the quantity of quality wins. They have the marquee wins. Mm -hmm. And they beat a bunch of teams. But right, they haven't some of the SEC isn't great. They didn't test themselves in non conference. It's not all that as impressive as a resume. Just when you're and now not so much, but they were right there in the thick of the SEC title race. They've done in the SEC what Tennessee has done. And to not even get them in the top 16 with some of those wins, having beaten Tennessee. I know part of this is they got some bad losses too, but they just don't have that many losses period either. I would have, I would have thrown the metrics out to a certain extent and said, look at what they've done consistently over this season. And also part of the metrics is when they lose, they lose bad. Mm -hmm. Right. That is a, and we'll, this is an interesting conversation for another day about whether that's a good or bad thing. But I think that's something we're, very clearly learning if we haven't already. The margin by which you lose absolutely matters for better or for worse. And South Carolina is certainly one of the teams that has paid the price for that.
0: Yeah. I mean, which should probably like, you should probably, it should probably matter how bad you get beaten
1: to a certain extent. Absolutely. Certain... Yeah, sure.
0: Top 16 seeds. I I suppose it's something that we should care about. A month before selection Sunday, um,
1: it is kind of a it, weird thing.
0: It's very weird. It's very weird. It's it, what's weird is that people actually care. Like I get it for bracketologists who are trying to understand what the committees yes. like. That's the value. Partially irrational, like right, and changes every year. Logic right. is. What, what every, like, are we valuing? That, but right. Right. But who who actually cares? Like it's it's like being upset about an AP top twenty-five voting, like it matters at all about your NCAA tournament chances. It just doesn't. And this is this matters a little bit more, but where you're ranked on February 17th truly doesn't matter. Like as we truly. saw
1: with everything that happened this weekend. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's gonna do it. Under 8 podcast Sunday, February 18th. It is 3:39 PM. We'll be back on Tuesday. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your shows. Follow The Under 8 Pod on Twitter. Subscribe on YouTube. Thanks so much for being here. We will see you on Tuesday.